Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Well, listen, I'm excited for today. Uh, It's going to be a great day. This is our last week of having four experiences. So this is our last 1030 experience that that we're going to have for a while. So let's make the most of it. Let's let's be happy that we have Montgomeryville with us again. I'm still bothered by that, y'all. That's my campus. Sorry, Montgomeryville. I clapped for you in my heart. I'm just playing. No, this is exciting. It's an exciting week. Uh, my name is Taylor. If we've never met before, uh, I have the privilege of taking us into week five of our sermon series titled Identified. So in this series, we're talking about the things that should identify us as followers of Jesus, as the church, outside of church. So Steve told us about uh, a church in the Bible, there's a book in the New Testament, which is the first half of the, or the second half of the Bible. It's called First, it's called First Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, and it's based on letters that Paul, who's an apostle, wrote to this church in a place called Corinth. And Steve told us about uh, Steve told us about this church in Corinth, and he said that uh, they're basically they're a church that's really good at doing church stuff. Right? They, they, you know, show up on time. They're in their seats before the countdown hits zero. They lift their hands in worship. They laugh at the pastor's jokes. They take their trash with them when they leave, and they throw it in a receptacle. They check their kids out in a timely fashion. They accept their serve requests as soon as those go out. Like, they're killing the church game. I'm not venting. You're venting. They're killing the church game. Right? They're crushing it. But as soon as they leave the church, when they're out in their lives... Their lives don't look any different than the world around them, right? And so we talked about in the first couple of weeks, why does, that, why does that matter? Like, why, why should our life look so different? And it's basically just this. Our life is our testimony. Like, the way that we live should be a testament to God's goodness and his mercy and his power and his forgiveness and his strength in our life. And that should be really evident because that's not how the world is. The Bible said that God set, saves us and sets us apart. And so we should look different, not for the sake of looking different or being weird or standing out just to stand out, but just in, in our true, in pursuing Jesus, we're naturally going to look a little bit differently. And so Paul writes to this church and, and it tells them that they need to, need to, you know, figure it out. And he gives them some examples, some ways that, that, that they should, their lives should look different. And this is what he says in the book of first Corinthians in chapter 13. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. He said, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. And that's where we're going to sit today, it keeps no record of wrongs. You see, one of the most impactful things about a life that's been saved and set apart and sanctified by the Lord is the ability to forgive genuinely, quickly, and frequently, right? The people in your lives should see the way that you forgive. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, your friends, the people in traffic around you, the people in the table next to you when you're out to eat and things aren't really going the way you want it to. Like those people should all see in the way that you're so quick to forgive that there's something different about you. And I'll be honest with you, 
uh, I was not super hype at first to talk about forgiveness. So I'm going to be honest with you. We should be honest all the time, but we do like to be more honest in church. So we're in church. Let's be honest. Does anybody tend to tune out of discussions about forgiveness? There we go. Last service, everybody nodded, but nobody raised their hands. We're bolder this experience. I like that. So listen, I do that. We start talking about forgiveness, and I'm like paying attention, but I'm like, I'm just not applying it, right? And it's not because I don't care, because I do. And it's not because I think I'm so great at forgiveness, because I'm definitely not. And I was trying to figure out. I was like, I have to, like, I have to pay attention this week. I'm the one speaking, so I can't tune out. Like, I've got to know what I'm saying. So I was like, why do I do that? Why do I tend to want to, to tune out? And I just came to the conclusion that I think we're just so surrounded by conversation about forgiveness that sometimes I just lose the forest for the trees. I think sometimes the reality of it kind of gets, gets lost in the sauce. And so in church, we'll talk about forgiveness often. And that makes sense because our whole salvation is based on extreme, like makes no sense type of forgiveness. Thank God. So we'll talk about it in, in sermons. We'll talk about it during worship. If you ever listen to Christian radio or podcasts, we talk about forgive. They'll talk about forgiveness all the time. Uh, if you look at, you know, Christian Instagram accounts or social media or whatever, uh, it pops up always, home groups, it always comes up talking about forgiveness. And those things, again, that all makes sense. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Where I think I end up getting lost is just because there's, in addition to the church, we talk about forgiveness in the world a lot. And we have very different opinions coming at us about forgiveness. And you go on whatever your social media platform of choice is, and just scroll through, and you'll see all kinds of articles. Ten ways to forgive people. Three reasons why you don't need to forgive people. Five ways that forgiving will make your life better. One simple solution to not having to forgive people because that sucks, right? And so it just, we have all of this, like, opposing viewpoint, and then we'll say we should forgive people, but then somebody one time when they were 13 said to a friend who overheard another friend saying a word that sounded like a word they shouldn't have said, and just to be safe, we're going to cancel them, Right? So, like, we just, we have this weird relationship with forgiveness in the world that we live in. And so, I think, for me, I think we're just so surrounded by, again, by ideas and hypocrisy and feelings and attitudes and opinions that sometimes we'll, again, we'll lose the forest for the trees. We kind of lose the core of what's true in, in, in just kind of fluff and nonsense. And so, today, what we're going to do is we're going to go over what, what I would say are three core true biblical truths about biblical forgiveness, Right, biblical forgiveness. As Christ followers, we're called to forgive, and there is a way that we are called to forgive, and it's, and it's godly forgiveness. All right? So the first truth, the first core truth principle of, of forgiveness, as the Bible puts it, is, is this. The first one is this. Forgiveness is demanded of you. Right? Forgiveness is demanded of you. It's not an option. It's not extra credit. It's not like flossing when the dentist says, are you brushing your teeth every day? Yes. Are you flossing? I'm brushing my teeth every day. Like, it's not, it's not the same thing. And I think we take that attitude, though, with forgiveness. Another example of that attitude, my check engine light in my truck has been on semi-permanently, right? It just, it's on right now. And right now, it's been on for like a year-ish. And I know why. It's a part behind my gas tank. It's called a solenoid. I don't remember what it does. It's some emissions thing. I know I don't need it to pass inspection, and that's all I need, need to know. I'm not fixing it. So <laughs> it doesn't affect my truck that much, so I don't really care. And if I'm honest, there's, there's two reasons why I don't fix it. One reason is it's going to be a pain. I know myself I'm going to break something in the process of fixing that, and then I'm going to have to call my buddy Dave, and then he's going to tell me I have to take it to a mechanic, and then I'm going to have to spend a bunch of money. I don't want to do all that, so I'm not going to. The other part of it is it's really just not that important, right? It's not that important to me. It's important, but not, 
not really enough to do anything about it. And I think we take that attitude with forgiveness sometimes, where we know we need to work on it. We know that it's, it's good, but it's just not like, it's not a priority in my life. You know what I mean? And so I want to challenge that idea. I want to challenge that attitude we have because I think the Bible is very clear. As a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is not a recommendation. It is a requirement with no exceptions. And it's not conditional. We don't choose, well, this person deserves forgiveness, but I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm not going to forgive that thing. That's unforgivable. But this thing I will forgive, right? And the Bible backs this attitude up. Like, it is required. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 6, Jesus is telling this story or, or, or talking. And this is what he says. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, which sounds nice. Second part is this. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Right? If you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. If you don't forgive the people in your life that you feel have wronged you, have sinned against you, have done something bad to you, your father, God, will not forgive you. That's a really big deal. And it struck me because I've never really thought about it that way. Like I've read that. I've heard that preached. I've just, that's never stuck with me like it did this past week as I was preparing this message. If you don't forgive, you forfeit God's forgiveness. How many know that we need to live inside the forgiveness of God? We were singing that song a minute ago, and Bella was talking about it on repeat, how his mercy is new for us morning by morning. He has new grace for us morning by morning. How many wish morning came more than once a day? I do. I need his grace in my life consistently. I need to live in that grace and that mercy and that forgiveness. And if I don't forgive the people in my life who I feel like have wronged me, I forfeit that. I step outside of that. This is a big deal, y'all. This is big. It is black and white. I think there are areas where sometimes we'll like to convince ourselves that it's like a gray area in the Bible, things that God calls us to, or we'll be like, well, what does he really say? Drinking is one. Bible says don't get drunk. And so we'll make a great, well, like, I'm not drunk. Like, I shouldn't drive. We'll probably text or talk to anybody I don't know. But like, I'm, not dr I'm not, like, drunk. Like, I, I know if I was drunk. You know what I mean? Like, we make up these, like, in-between scenarios where this is probably fine. Like, I can still do what I want to do and twist God's word to, to fit what I want, right? This is not one of those areas. This is, I mean, A, you know you're lying. You know you're wrong in that. So just let's be, all, be honest. We all do it. We're all wrong. This is not an area where there's any room for that. This is black and white. And it's not just that verse either. Jesus goes on to tell us a story later in Matthew in chapter 18. He tells us this story of a servant who owed an obscene amount of money to a king. Like Elon Musk style money he owed. And it didn't make any sense, right? Like it, it comes down to being like thousands of years worth of wages that he owes to this king. And the king calls on him one day to collect the debt. He, obviously, he doesn't have it. And so the king orders that since he can't pay his debt, orders that that servant and his family should all be sold to pay back the debt that is owed. So the servant begs the king, please just give me a little bit more time. Please give me a little more time. I'm going to get you your money. Obviously, he's not going to get him his money. It doesn't make sense. That's like if I owed a couple billion dollars to somebody, you can give me all the time in the world. You're not getting your money. I'm sorry. That was a bad investment. You messed up. <laughs> like, it's just not... It's not going to happen. And the king knows that. This man asked, God, king, please give me a little more time and get your money. 
And so the king hears this plea, hears this begging, and, and, and decides, you know what, dude? I, I forgive your, your debt. Your debt is canceled. It's done. Right? He doesn't put him on a payment plan. He doesn't defer. He doesn't extend his grace period. He just says, the debt is canceled. It's, it's, it's done. And that changes the servant's life. He had a life-crippling, crushing debt, something that he owed hanging over him. And this king canceled it entirely. And so he goes with this newfound freedom. He goes out into the world, and he finds somebody that owes him a little bit of money. He owed a lot of bit of money. He goes and he finds someone who owes him just a little bit. And he goes and he finds this person. And you're thinking, cool, he's going to go, he's going to forgive him. It's going to be the you pay it forward thing where you pay for the guy behind you. It's going to be great, right? No. He goes and he finds this person. He says, hey, I need my money. The money that you owe me, you owe me this much. I need you to pay me. The guy tells him, I don't, I don't have it right now. Like, give, give me a little bit of time and I'll get it for you, but I don't have that money right now. And our servant who just got forgiven all of this he has that man thrown in prison until he's able to repay what is owed him. And the king finds out about it, and he's not very pleased. And this is what Jesus tells us in verse 32. He says, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And that is a really, like, it's a, it's a heavy story, but it gets a lot more real when you look at the very next verse in verse 35 when Jesus says this. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is how God treats us. We have been forgiven. If you know Jesus, you know it's true. We've been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. In Jesus' name, we've been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. And now it's required that we extend that forgiveness to the people in our lives who we feel have wronged us, who we feel have done horrible things, maybe have done horrible things to us. It is our responsibility as Christ followers to forgive those people. Again, forgiveness is not recommended. It is required. I cannot stress that enough. Forgiveness is not optional. It is obligatory. Forgiveness is not conditional. It's continual. It's not conditional. You don't choose, well, this was too bad, and that person is too far gone, and you know these extenuating circumstances, I'm not going to forgive that person, right? Forgiveness is unconditional. It is continual. It's over and over and over again because that's what God demands of us. Right? So forgiveness is demanded of us. If you follow Jesus, you have to forgive. The second is this. Forgiveness is defined for us. Forgiveness is defined for us. God tells us what forgiveness is, how it works, what it means. Right? Because we live in a world where right now we love to define things for ourselves. Right? We get to stand and say, but this is, this is my truth. This is what I think is true. This is what I think this means. Right? And we do that, um, if we're honest, we do that because it makes things a lot easier. We can feel a lot better about ourselves when we get to choose how to define virtue, right? It's easy for me to stand here and say that I'm the most loving husband in the world to my wife if I get to define for myself what love really means. We don't get that, that freedom. Or it's Actually, it's not freedom. To be honest with you, if you're making up your own definitions for virtue in, in your life, you are confined by those things. And so we don't do that as Christ followers. As followers of Jesus, 
he gives us a definition of forgiveness. He tells us what forgiveness really means. And it's godly forgiveness because the world has its own version of forgiveness, right? God's forgive forgiveness is different. The, the world says this, and we something that I saw online a long time ago, and, and we kind of, we talked about it in the office, and at first I saw it, and I was like, that's awesome. That's sick. I'm, I'm, that's forgiveness, right? It said this. It said, I hope you eat, just not at my table. I hope you eat, but not at my table. I hope every good thing comes to you, but I don't want anything to do with it. It's not going to come from me. And it sounds awesome at first. And there's a degree of, of forgiveness involved, right? I feel like you deserve the worst, but I hope you get good stuff. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to be part of it, but I hope good things happen to you. But I'm just not part of it, right? And that's worldly forgiveness. And I heard that, and I was like, man, that's awesome. That's perfect. Like, it feels like self-empowering. It feels righteous. It feels good. It feels just. But we were kind of talking about it in the office the one time, and I was talking to my mother-in-law about it uh, the other day. We were kind of talking about the idea, like, well, is that really what God wants for us? Like, is that how God forgives us? And I was trying to figure out, like, how do, how do you draw a distinction between godly forgiveness and worldly forgiveness? And then Ian, last week in his sermon, he talked about the prodigal son and just teed it up. Right? As soon as he started talking about the story, it clicked in my head that th this is the difference in worldly forgiveness and godly forgiveness. If you weren't here and you didn't hear it, maybe you've never heard the prodigal son story before. I know Bella just mentioned it in, in worship as well. But if you've never heard for it, I'll, I'll run it back for you. Basically, it's a story of there is a man, he's a father, he has two sons, and he's very wealthy. So his sons, both of them, stand to gain a lot uh, in an inheritance when the father passes away. So the younger son, he doesn't want to wait. He goes to the father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I'm done with this. I'm done with you. I'm done with our family. And so the father gives him his inheritance and lets him run off with it and do what he pleases. And he goes off and he lives a lavish lifestyle. He lives kind of wild and he blows money. And, and as money will tend to do, it runs out. Times get really hard and he begins, basically he begins starving. And he's sitting there in this destitute state. He, he's, he can't make ends meet for himself. He's working with pigs, which at that time would have been really disgraceful of a job for that culture. Uh, and, and he's wishing that he could eat the food that the pigs had to eat, which was sloppy and gross. And he's sitting there realizing, he, he said, I, my father's servants eat better than this. Even the people that serve my father, his hired hands, they get at least scraps from the table. And he says that, he says, I don't deserve to be his son anymore. I don't deserve a spot at his table. I don't deserve my place in that family anymore. But maybe he will forgive me enough to let me come home and, 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 and serve him as a servant. Maybe he will forgive me to the point where he will keep me from dying. Right? He's looking for worldly forgiveness. I don't deserve to be part of this family. I don't deserve a seat at your table. I don't deserve what I used to have. But I really hope that you will forgive me to the point where you'll at least let me eat some scraps. And so he, he goes home. He's, he's on his way home. He's going to ask his father to forgive him in this way. And he's heading home. And, and the Bible says that as he's heading home, the father sees him coming from a long way off. And where I like to think that most of us, and if it was me, I'll be honest with you, I'm petty. So I would have stood there and looked at him, eye contact, no words, awkward, mad, awkward, right? On purpose, folded his arms, waited, right? 
He said he doesn't do that. He said he takes off running, which grown men in this culture did not do, right? They did not run. Like, that was undignified. So he takes off running to his son. And before his son even has a chance to ask and beg and plead for this little, little bit of forgiveness, his father runs to him and reinstates him as a son. You see, the son went back looking for worldly forgiveness, and the father had something different for him. The father had godly forgiveness in his heart. The father said, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He said he was lost, but now he's found. And it's awesome because in this moment, he's not focused on what his son took from him. He's not focused on the wound that his son inflicted on him when he basically told him he wished he was dead. He's not focused on the hardship that his son created when he took half of his family's wealth and left all of his responsibilities, all of his duties at home and on their farm or whatever they had going on, left their family. He's not focused on any of that. He's focused on regaining a son. That's the way that God forgives us. It's not deserved and it doesn't make sense, but it's good and it's righteous. And that's the forgiveness that we are called to give other people. It doesn't make sense and it's not supposed to. It's godly, and it's good, and it's right, and it's what we receive and know that that's what we have to give to people. But how do we do it? Like, what, what do we do? What are the steps? If you're like me, you need steps, right? Does anybody remember MapQuest? I got in trouble earlier because I said MapsQuest. I was like, we're in Philly. Everybody puts S's on stuff. Just get over it. MapsQuest. So MapQuest, for anybody who doesn't know, maybe you don't remember, maybe you skipped it. There was a point in the decline of civilization where... We could read maps, and then it got to a point where we couldn't really bang with the maps anymore, but we didn't really need the GPS on our phone in our pocket yet, and there was MapQuest where you would tell it where you wanted to go, and it would print you off a set of instructions, like step-by-step directions to get where you're going, like a recipe for being almost lost the whole time. And so MapQuest, like I thrive on MapQuest. I had a specific folder in my vehicle at that time where MapQuest went. It was a red folder and it was awesome. <laughs> but I like that. I need that, right? I think I need that. And there's, there's some times where, where some aspects of, of, of God kind of fit into that MapQuest style, right? So tithing is an example. Tithing is a pretty straightforward principle. If I take all of my money and then I take 10% of that money and I give it to God, he's going to bless that 90% more than, than, than I could have done with the 100% of it, right? That's the principle of tithing. It's a step-by-step instruction, and it's pretty practically, it's easy. But there's a lot of things in the Bible that don't quite work that way, even though you wish they would. What I felt like God was like putting on my heart this week was just how, kind of how, how this works. So I think how God works is he gives you truth. He gives us truth in his word. He gave us a whole book, 66 books in the Bible, full of his word and his truth for our lives. And he gives us that word and he gives us the truth and he gives us an open line of communication constantly. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. And I think he gives us his truth in his word and we just have to go after it. It's like a direction on a compass. He gives us that truth. We just have to go. And we have to stay in prayer consistently like the Bible says and trust that what the Bible says is true, that we can plan our path, but the Lord establishes our steps. 
And so maybe I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm heading towards forgiveness, the way that the Bible says it, the way that, that it is true. And I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know what obstacles I'm going to face. I don't really know how I'm going to navigate those obstacles. But I know that this is what God wants for me, and so I'm going to go after it. And so the most important thing we can do in the pursuit of forgiveness or love or boldness or, or courage or whatever we need to grow in the word, the best way to go after that, I think, is to find just some very, what, what we called actionable truth. If you were in our home group season this past season, actionable truth. And one of the most simple and actionable truths about forgiveness, I think, comes from that story that we talked about earlier with the king and his servant. I heard uh, a pastor the other week talking about forgiveness, and he explained it. He said, forgiveness at its core is, is canceling a debt. Forgiveness at its core is canceling a debt. To forgive somebody, you have to, A, figure out what it is that they owe you, what it is you feel like they took from you, and then you decide that they don't owe you anything. See, it's two parts. And I think a lot of times when we think we're good at forgiveness or we don't feel like we really have a hard time with it, I think there's a good chance that we're missing one of those two parts. For me, it's the first part. You have to figure out what it is that person took from you. You have to process your pain. You've got to figure, you pinpoint that hurt. What is the wound that was caused? And that is tough. And I think it's tough for two reasons. Because it makes you uncomfortable, right? There's two things that make us uncomfortable with doing that. The first is you have to be really vulnerable with ourselves and with God. To look at that hurt, to, to kind of rehash it, to go through those emotions and figure out what is it that really hurt me. I know what the action was, but what was the impact in my life? What do I feel like that took from me? So you have to be really vulnerable with yourself. Another thing you have to do, and this is my problem, you have to be really humble with yourself and understand that that person did hurt you. They did have the power to hurt you. Because that's where I'll have issues, right? I'll, I'll, I'll think, well, they, you can't hurt me. You don't have that place in my life. I don't care. And there's a degree of it that maybe is a little bit true, and there's a degree, a degree of that that is healthy, right? We want to be unoffendable. We want to be so content and, and satisfied in God's definition of us and our identity in him that nothing that anybody does and says can come against it. But we are people, and we live in a world full of people, and we're going to be hurt. And when that happens, we have to be able to admit, man, that hurt. And we have to be able to see, how did that hurt? So I'll give you an example. I, uh, a number of years ago, there was somebody that I was pretty close with, um, had a lot of trust for, uh, and, and, and you know, was, was a big part of my life at that time. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize it, but at that time, they were saying a lot of really negative things about me to pretty much everybody behind my back. I, I didn't know about it, right? They were saying things that were uh, defaming my character, things that were really negative, that really painted me in a bad light. And I didn't know it was happening. Then it had an effect on me. It affected the way people thought about me. It affected my, you know, some of my opportunities personally and kind of professionally in some different, different areas. And this is, again, this was a while ago. But I didn't know it was happening. And eventually, you know, our paths kind of diverged and, and that person is really no longer in my life anymore. And as soon as that happened, I started hearing. I started hearing from, from all these people, all these things that this person had said about me. Oh, well, you know, they said this about you, right? And they said that you did this. And I kept hearing, oh, I really, you know, I, you're not what I thought. I, th I thought this about you, but I don't really think that's true. And well, why did you think that? Oh, well, so-and-so told me that you did that. So-and-so told me that you are that way, that you think this way, that you said those things. 
And I was really upset at first, right? I was really mad that, that, that she would do that. But I realized that at a certain point, like, I've got, I got to get over it. And so I just brushed it under the rug. I'm like, whatever, I forgive that person. Like, I, it's whatever, I don't, I don't care. Reality is I never actually forgave that person. I just brushed it under the rug. And when we don't process our hurt, we don't really figure out what we're giving forgiveness for, you're not really forgiving. It's like when you tell a child to say thank you, and they say thank you. You're like, for what? I don't know. She said say thank you. So I said thank you. Like, that's not like real gratitude. In the same way, forgiveness is not forgiveness if we're not forgiving something, right? You got to understand what it is that you're forgiving, and then you have to choose that that person doesn't owe you anything. And that's a really hard part for a lot of people, because for a lot of people in this room, a lot of people watching online, watching at Montgomeryville, a lot of you have been through really, really serious things. A lot of you have had really serious pain in your life. People have done things to you. People have said things to you. People have genuinely affected your life. And I'm not going to tell you that this is easy for, should be easy for you. I'm not going to tell you that none of that matters. What I will tell you is that it doesn't depend on you. And that's the, the, our third point here. Forgiveness does not depend on you. It's not by our own strength that we can forgive in this way that this seems to make no sense, this way that is not deserved, this way that it is not what we feel like. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel just. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. And I'll, I'll put it this way. Godly forgiveness only can come from a place of godly confidence. And what is godly Confidence. Godly confidence is not confidence in yourself at all. It's not a confidence in yourself that you can accomplish things and you can achieve things and you'll figure it out. Right? Godly confidence is a confidence not in yourself but in Jesus and in who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life. See, godly confidence is a belief that God is good in my life. He's always good. He's always been good. He is at work in my life. He is establishing things in me that cannot be taken away. The Bible says that he has a plan not to harm me, but to prosper me. The Bible says that he's working all things for my good and for his glory. Godly confidence allows you to say that I am not owed anything by the world because I already have everything that I need in Jesus. So when you get to that point where you know what's been taken from you and you have to decide that that person doesn't owe you, that only comes from a place of being confident who Jesus is. Because if I have everything that I need in Jesus and there is nothing that that person could have taken from me, when I had that situation where that person was, was saying things about me, when I had to process that, I, I realized that was really frustrating to me because I felt like that person was attacking my credibility and attacking the way that people were able to respect me, right? It's been in, instilled in me that it's important for me to live in a way and conduct myself in a way where I'm able to be respected. It doesn't mean that you're going to get respect from everybody. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to like me. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to love me. I don't care so much about that, but I don't want my actions and my behavior to, to prevent anybody from being able to have that respect, to prevent God from using me in any kind of way he wants to do. And I'm not perfect by any means. I need forgiveness. I need grace. But it's important to me to live that way. And I felt like that person in, in saying what they said took that away from me. I felt like that person instilled in certain people really toxic thoughts or poisonous thoughts about me and who I am, you know, lies and, and just change the way people think about me, change the way people uh, considered me, and, and that really bothered me. And it wasn't until I realized 
that it's not me who can establish that in my life. It's only God. It's when I realize that if God wants to build me up, nobody can tear me down. It's that when I realize that when God wants to establish me, I will be established. Regardless of anything that I would do or anybody could say about me. When God wants to establish me, he will do it. And until then, there's nothing I can do to make it happen. And there's nothing that anybody else can do to take that away. How many knows that when God adds something to you, no one can take it from you, right? Whatever God has built in you, nobody can tear down. And this is the attitude that we need to have with forgiveness, that when somebody has tried to take something from us, or when we feel like somebody has taken from us, that's only God allowing a situation wherein he gets to instill something in us. You see, everything in our life, if we believe that what the Bible says is true, is allowed by God. doesn't mean that he sent that person to do that terrible thing to you, but he allowed it. And that can make you angry at God if you don't realize this. When he allows you to, to, to endure something, he allows something to be taken from you, it's his opportunity to add something to you. When that person broke your trust and they took your ability to trust, that was God establishing in you a depth of character and a confidence in who he is. When, when, when that person hurt you, that was God developing strength in you maybe. I don't, I don't know your story. I can't tell you what God is doing in your life because it's not my life. It's not my story to tell. But I will tell you that nobody can take anything from you if God has put it in you. And that is the peace that comes from following Jesus. That is the joy that lives inside of godly confidence. That's where forgiveness starts, starts to flow. And when you have that godly confidence in your life, you start to realize that forgiveness is not as much of a task anymore. It just kind of happens. It's a byproduct of living in confidence in who you are in Jesus. And if we're honest, we all chase after that confidence. That's something that everybody wants. Whether you're in church or out of church, you've never been to church before, you're chasing confidence. You're chasing an identity. I know for me, before I, before I came to church, before I really started following Jesus, so I grew up in church, but I didn't, I didn't follow Jesus until I was in a home group. I started coming to Journey. I went to a home group, and I sat in this room full of people who, who were full of this confidence. And here I am, I'm going, you know, going to bars, going to alcohol, going to the internet, going to my friends, going to girls, going to all this kind of stuff, looking for this identity, looking for this confidence. And I'm in this room full of people who are doing none of those things. And they're all full of confidence. I don't remember who was, I remember a couple of the people who were there. I remember it was at Troy Dietrich's house. I don't remember what we were talking about. I remember the guys, Mark Batterson, he had a funny hat on. And that's it. It's nothing about, like, nothing really special was spoken in that time. It was just this feeling, this knowing that this is so real, that this is what I've been looking for in all the wrong places, and all I need to do is just take this seriously. I just need to receive this. And for somebody today, whether here at Montgomeryville or online, somebody needs to receive that today. So if we can all stand up here in Montgomeryville, we're going to stand up, we're going to bow our heads, we're going to close our eyes. And part of that is out of reverence for this moment. And the other part of that is very practical. It's just for privacy. This moment is between you and the Lord. Nobody else is looking at you. And you're not looking at anybody else. 
In this moment, I think somebody is feeling that stir in their heart. I think somebody is feeling that tugging, that burning sensation, that the realization that this is what I need. This is what I've been looking for. I didn't think I would find it here. I didn't know where I was going to find it, but this is it. This is what I need. I need that confidence. I need that peace. That surpasses understanding. And if that is you, I want to be clear with you. There's no song and dance. There's no special class you need to go to. There's no special words you have to say. All you have to do is receive it. The Bible says that God is knocking at your door. All you have to do is answer. He's knocking at the door of your heart. And if you feel that's you, I'm gonna, we're going to give you a, a, a moment here in just a second to respond to that. We're not going to have you come forward. We're not going to have anybody come and put their hands on you and pray and whatever. We're not going to make a spectacle of you. We're not here to embarrass you. We're just going to give you the opportunity. We're just going to ask you to raise your hand here in just a moment to let us know that we're, we, we're, we can be praying with you. We can be celebrating with you as you step into freedom, finally. So in this place, if you know Jesus, I want to encourage you to keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. And just be praying. Be praying that God would move in this place, that the Holy Spirit would, would come alive in this place, would, would, would ignite in somebody's heart, in somebody's soul, and that somebody would come to know Jesus in a real way today. And if that is you, you feel like you need that today, I want to encourage you to just stick your hand up in the air right now. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. I see you right over here. This is your opportunity to step into a confidence that surpasses understanding, to step into freedom for once. And if you're wondering why we're, we're, why we're clapping, it's not because we, you know, we scored a point, right? That's not, that's not why we clap. We're clapping because your life is different now. You're stepping into a new life that we know is what God wants for you. The Bible says that when one person finds Jesus, that all of heaven stops to celebrate. And we're going to stop and celebrate as well. We're going to celebrate with the person in Montgomeryville who just responded. Amen. Hey, we're we're going to keep our eyes closed, our heads bowed. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this chance to be here, be part of what you're doing in our communities, Lord. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, that you are good and you have a plan for us, Jesus, that you want good things for us. God, we thank you uh, that, that, that we have the chance to be here and to see you move in these people's lives as they respond to you, God. We pray that you would just, just ignite in their heart, God, that, that you would lead them into, into a life with you, Lord, and, and, and just thank you on their behalf for the life that they're going to get to live now, Jesus. Thank you again for, for just this chance to come and be part of what you're doing, God. I pray that you would be with us this week as we go out and we live these truths, Jesus. We go out and we forgive people quickly, just like you've forgiven us. We thank you for that forgiveness, Lord, and we need it every day. It's in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.